Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Last week, we started a series called Great People Under Construction. And what we're talking about in this series is that there's six characteristics in the Bible that identify great people. We're looking at great people, not through the eyes of society, not through the eyes of the business world, not through the eyes of the financial world, but through the eyes of God. And that there's six practices, there's six applications that we find in the Bible that make someone great. And our desire, my desire as your pastor is, that that you would make these applications in your life so that you could become the great person that God wants you to become. If you weren't here last week, we talked about why God wants you to become great. Because he's got a plan. He, he wants to expand his kingdom. And in order to do that, and as he does that, he makes us great. Last week, we saw the first characteristic. We saw the first practice of those that are great. And we said that great people give themselves completely to Jesus Christ. We said that in order to be great, you need to acquire the greatest treasure. And there's no greater treasure than Jesus Christ. Today, I want us to look at the second application, at the second characteristic of a great person. And that is that a great person embarks into the greatest journey. When it comes to journeys, we're fascinated by them. I don't know if you've given any thought to this, but movies are about journeys. Books are about journeys. Shows are about journeys. The greater the journey, the greater the movie, the greater the show. Young people, video games are about journeys, right? You got to conquer something. You got to reach something. And in, the, and in doing that, you spend $1,000, but you do it. And that in itself is a journey. But listen, deep inside of us, God wired us. To crave, to want to be part, to want to experience, to want to achieve a great journey. Now, throughout your lifetime, you're going to embark in many journeys. The journey of your education. This Thursday was a, was a special day in our home because um, my youngest sister was dropped off at her university. And my parents cried like babies. There's no more kids at home. Well, there's one more that refuses to go because they don't want to pay rent, but we're going to pray for that in another um, service. I'm joking. I'm joking. You guys know who she is, so pray for it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm trying to get myself out of trouble. I keep getting myself in trouble. But, you know, she, she's off to college, and, 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 and I was talking a little bit with her, and, and, and that she's starting this journey, right, in her education, in her adulthood. What about the journey of choosing and finding your spouse? Anybody remember that? Some of you are still in it. Some of you, it wasn't even more of a journey. It was kind of like, oops, I did it again, right? But what about the journey of those of us that are parents of raising our kids? Talk about a journey, right? 
One guy said, before I had kids, I had three theories about kids. Now I got three kids and no theories. Because raising kids, is, is, it's definitely a journey. Or, or what about the journey of finding yourself? Remember when you were a teenager? Remember you dressed like a punk, and then you dressed like a skater, then you dressed like a chola, then you dressed like, like a, right? You were trying to find yourself. And there's many other journeys that you'll experience. But listen to this. The most important journey that we could ever embark in is the journey of spiritual growth. It's to become who God sees us. To become who God destined us, predestined us to become. Now, how do we know when we've arrived at this journey? Because when I look at church, I see a lot of people that feel that they've arrived. They've stopped growing. They, they, they well, you know, I, I did it all already. I've been in church for so long. It's, it's, I'm in my retirement now. I'm spiritually retired. I'm just, just waiting to get home. Paul tells us the following in Ephesians 4.13 right there in your outline. Look at what, the, what he says. He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be what? Mature in the Lord. Another version says perfect. It, it's not talking about perfection. It's talking about maturity. That's why I like this version. To be mature. Now, what does mature look like? How do we know when we've arrived? How do we know if we've arrived? And how do we know what maturity looks like? Well, it tells us in the next sentence. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of who? Of Christ. This is a journey that we can embark in throughout our whole life and we'll never reach it till we get home. So if you think you've done, you're done with that journey, I would ask, have you, have you reached the full and complete standard of Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't, you still got ways to go. And you know, the mistake that we make sometimes is that we compare ourselves to other believers. And we say, well, you know, they're still struggling. I don't struggle anymore, so I must have arrived. You know, they don't come to church all the time. I'm faithful. I think I've arrived. When we look at others, we'll be deceived to think that we've arrived. But when we look at Jesus, we'll realize that we got a long way to go. That we got much more to achieve, right? Look at what he says. Then we will no longer be what? Immature like children, right? We won't be tossed and blown out, blown about by every kind of new teaching. You'd be surprised the, the things that Christians come up with. You'd be surprised. Well, and I say Christian quote unquote. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like what? Truth. Did you know you don't have to tithe anymore? That's an Old Testament thing. Do you know you don't have to go to church because God is omnipresent and he's everywhere? Did you know that serving is only for those that get paid by the church? Instead, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like who? Christ, who is the head of his body. And what's his body? The church. My wife, like I'm sure many of you parents, 
has been recording the growth of Mesa Lee and Kaylee on the frame of a door in our house. Every few months, she'll have the girls line up and take a pen and mark it and put the date. And, and we're beginning to see, we've been able to track their growth. And you've probably done this, but um, the other day, Mesa Lee showed it to me and I realized something. I realized that when it comes to our physical growth, there comes a time where the lines don't grow anymore. Right? In fact, with times, what do those lines do? Some of you guys are growing up and others are growing down. Right? Now, when we talk about physical growth, in terms of physical growth, this is very normal. It's normal that, that we reach a stage where we stop growing. But when it comes to our spiritual growth, to our emotional growth, to our relational growth, to our intellectual growth, these are areas that we should never stop growing. These are areas where we continually should be able to place higher marks. But these are the areas where we often stop growing first. Now, why is that? Why is it that we stop growing? You know why we stop growing? Because we stop applying habits. We stop doing things that will allow us to grow. I've told you this before, and I just want to remind you again, as your pastor, I am committed to help you grow. In fact, here's how I define my role. I comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. So if you want me to just Make you feel good and get out of your way? I'm the wrong pastor. Because I'm going to ask of you, and I'm going to ask of you more and more. Because I don't want you to stay stuck. And even those of you that are 40 and 50 and 60, and you're just, you're, you've retired spiritually, I'm going to bring you back out of retirement. And here's why. Here's why, especially spiritually, right? When we grow spiritually, Spiritual growth benefits every other area. Every other area. If there's one area that influences every other area, it's to grow spiritually. Look, look at what 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 says. It says, train yourselves to be what? Godly, right? Physical training is good. The Bible says that going to the gym is good, okay? So if you go to the gym, you're following one of the... Uh, suggestions in the Bible, one of the uh, advice of the Bible, physical training is good. But training for godliness is what? Much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Why is, why is training for godliness or growing spiritually better than physical training? Because if you go to the gym, your biceps get better but your character doesn't necessarily get better. If you go to the gym, your legs may get toned, but your patience may not get toned. Because if you go to the gym, you may develop a six-pack, but you may not develop love. But if you grow spiritually, if you grow more like Jesus, you'll grow in your patience. You'll grow in your relationships. You'll grow in your love. You'll grow in your character because training for godliness is, has benefits for all areas. And listen to this. It says, that last part says, promising benefits 
in this life and in the life to come. The Bible speaks of of, of us as Christians in being in a journey where we go from, from sinners, where we go from the mess that, that our choices and sin makes us to, to becoming more like Christ. It's a journey. And, and in fact, the Bible uses this, this illustration. It uses the, the illustration of, of, a, of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A caterpillar is ugly. Have you ever seen a caterpillar? Only weird people have caterpillars as pets, right? Nobody ever goes, oh, look, a caterpillar, right? But what about butterflies? People collect those. People travel around the world to go see those. But the problem that that, that often happens is that, that, that some people have been caterpillars for years. They've been in church. They've carried around a Bible. They may even be serving, but they're still caterpillars. Why? Because there hasn't been any growth. And even yet, there's others that have gotten comfortable in their cocoon. I'm not as ugly as I used to be before I came to Christ. But I'm not as beautiful as I should be after all these years in Christ. And, and you got to understand that, that, that God wants us to grow spiritually. He wants us to be spiritually mature. You want to know some of the benefits of being spiritually mature? And I know you'll want these for yourself. If you say, like, no, I don't want to be like that. No, I don't want to react like that. Then there's something wrong. I think every single one of us would want. Let me just mention some of the benefits. A mature, a spiritually mature person knows how to deal with problems and faces difficulties with a positive attitude. Husbands, wouldn't we like our wives and our kids to have a positive attitude in difficult situations? Right? Uh, a mature person is not selfish. Oh, if only our kids were spiritually mature. Right? A mature person uses his or her words to edify other people. We don't gossip. We don't put down. We don't even, quote unquote, bring it in prayer. Do you know that's the new way Christians gossip? Brothers, can we pray for our sister or she, you know? A mature person seeks solutions and peace. They don't seek to win. You know, a lot of our marital problems, they stem from that, that that, that we want to win. We want to be right. But if we were mature, we, we, we wouldn't seek to win. We would seek the solution and we would seek to have peace because if you win, but you lost your wife, that's a horrible house to live in. Or the other way around. A mature person accepts responsibility. Now, I know you want that for yourself, right? You want that for your kids. Now, here's the thing. Physical growth, physical growth is not automatic, right? We think we automatically grow, but we don't. We got to feed our bodies. We got to give rest to our bodies. We got to exercise our bodies. And just like physical growth is not automatic, neither is spiritual growth. And here's what you need to know. This is the most important thing, okay? If there's something that I would want you to take home with you this morning is this. Nobody can do the work of growing you spiritually but you. Nobody can. 
People can pray for you, but if you don't embark in that journey, you'll stay an ugly caterpillar till you die. No one can grow for you. We need to be able to take the time to say, I I am going to embark in this journey. And by the way, by the way, spiritual maturity doesn't happen overnight. It is a journey. In fact, can I tell you something? You'll never reach full spiritual maturity here on earth. Because we'll never be completely like Jesus. So so it's something that we need to do that we can't give up on. There aren't any shortcuts. There aren't any shortcuts. Well, I've taken these classes. Good for you. Now go do it. There aren't any shortcuts. But what I do want to do is just remind you of three things, three steps, three applications to help you grow spiritually. Because let me tell you something. What you really want What you really want is found on the other side of spiritual maturity. You want a good marriage, don't you? You want to be able to feel satisfied, content with your life. You want to be able to make a difference. You want to be able to raise godly children. You want to be able to have your finances under control. You want to be able to lead others to Jesus. All that will happen when we start growing spiritually. It will. So let me tell you three things that we need to apply to our lives to grow spiritually. Number one, make the move from believer to disciple. If you want to grow spiritually, you got to make the move from a believer to a disciple. What's the difference? Well, the term believer, or if you want to use another word, the word Christian or the term Christian and disciple are two different sides of the same coin. Think of it as a coin. One side is when we believe, but the other side of that same coin, and this coin is the process that God has for us, is discipleship. We become a believer. We become a Christian when we decide to have faith in Jesus. When you recognize your sin, when you recognize your, that, 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 that you are far from God and you place your faith in Jesus, you become what we call a believer or what the world calls a Christian. Did you know that Jesus never used the word Christian? You know what word he used? Disciples. In fact, the name Christian was invented by outsiders to insult those that were following Jesus. It was not a good name. We've made her a good name. Well, I'm a Christian, right? Kind of like, like if it was a fast pass at Disneyland, right? But, but in those days, when you, were, when you were called a Christian, it was meant as an insult. And being a believer, being a Christian, or at least a Christian that, that in America we tend to define, is the first step in your journey. It's how you walk into that spiritual journey. But we're not supposed to stay there. We're supposed to move from being a believer to now being a disciple, being a follower. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. 
That's what a disciple is. And not in the academic sense of being in a classroom in front of a teacher and gaining information. No, no, not a learner in that sense because we also have this other misconception that the more Bible we know, the more mature we are. And I know some very knowledgeable people in the Bible that are just very immature. Okay? So, but a disciple is a learner in the sense of being with a craftsman, learning in a work area skills to apply to their life. So a disciple, see, here's the thing. We don't learn information about God for the sake of information. We learn skills about God that we apply to our life. A, a disciple was a follower. A disciple was somebody who submitted their life and said, I am going to learn how to live the way you live. That is what a disciple was. And discipleship occurs when we answer the call to learn from Jesus. And I would add others. We need to learn from others. We need to have somebody discipling us so that one day we could disciple somebody. Jesus said, go and make what? Disciples. Before you die, are you going to make any disciples? Or are you just going to make a lot of enemies? Right? He, so, so discipleship occurs when we answer the call to learn from Jesus and others how to live our life as though Jesus was living it. That's what a disciple is. A disciple says, I want to learn so much from Jesus that it looks like it was Jesus living in me. And before you think this is a heresy, this is what Paul said. Look at what Galatians 2.20 says. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, here's a verse we don't see in homes, okay? And I no longer live. Who lives? But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you a disciple or just a Christian? Let me say it this other way. Are you a follower? Are you following Jesus or are you just believing in Jesus? Jesus called people to follow him. And in fact, to believe in him meant that you were willing to follow him. You know what you truly believe? What you do. We believe what we do. Not what we say. It's so easy to say we believe things. But there's a lot of things we say we believe that we don't do. Look at, look at this verse. This is so awesome. Matthew 9.9. 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth Look at what he says to him. Follow me and be what? My believer. No. He says, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and what did he do? He followed him. So if you want to grow spiritually, you got to get out of that easy zone. You got to get out of that cocoon zone and say, I am going to be a follower. I'm going to be a disciple. I am going to learn from Jesus how to live my life. Here's the second thing. To grow spiritually, you got to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You got to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? By the way, next week, we're going to talk about the greatest power. 
and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. But today, let me just um, briefly talk to you about the fullness of the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at what Ephesians 5.18 says. Look at what it says with me. It says, don't be drunk with what? I actually had somebody say, I don't get drunk with wine. I get drunk with beer. (laughs) Missed the point. Don't be drunk with wine. Here's why. And I I think many people can attest to this. Because that will what? Oh, boy, if we had time to testify. Look at what he says. Instead, instead what? Be filled with? What are you, what is your life filled with? What is your soul? What is your mind? What is your heart filled with? You know, when a person is drunk, we say that they are under the influence of alcohol. The influence of alcohol on them affects the way they behave. They don't walk like they normally walk. That's why the cops do the what? The the whole thing, right? Because a drunk person can't do that. They can't walk like they would normally walk. A drunk person believes they can do things that they really can't do. They think they're good singers and they're not. Right? They think they sound good, but they don't. They think they can dance, and they don't. I wanted to show you guys that old video of the two drunk guys dancing at a party. Like, those guys are so drunk, they think they're like amazing dancers, and they're fools. The filling, filling your body with alcohol will lead you to being controlled by alcohol. But when you fill your life with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will control your life. When we come to church and we leave church like today, you'll get in your car and you'll make your way home or you'll go out to lunch to eat somewhere. Now, as as soon as you get in your car, you're going to deplete the reserves of gas in your tank. You don't need to be a bad person for that to happen. You don't need to be a bad person for your gas to go from full to empty. All you got to do is what? Drive. Now, many times, and I say many times because it doesn't always happen unless you are intentional. Many times when we come to church, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with his presence because we've engaged in worship. We've been transformed by the word. We've, we, we've poured ourselves to God. We've opened ourselves to God. And the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, fills us. However, as soon as you leave this place, your spiritual tank begins to lessen. All you got to do is live. Live has a way of draining out the reality of the Holy Spirit in us. And just like we need to refill our cars consistently, we need to refill ourselves with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you something in a very loving way. If the only filling you are receiving is on Sundays, you're not going to get I'll tell you something. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. 
Because it is on a daily basis that we are presented with temptation. It is on a daily basis that we're heard. It is on a daily basis that we have the option to, to dishonor God. It is on a daily basis that we need his presence, his guidance in our life. And if you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, here's what will happen. The Holy Spirit will control your life. You won't respond in, a, in your nasty self. You won't respond in a fleshly way. You know what? I, forgive me. You know what? I think it's so sad that there are so many believers today who cannot be distinguished from the rest of the world. They still think, they still act, they still talk like those without Christ. Their lives are full of fear, they're struggling, they're worried, they're anxious, they're, there's death in their life. And you know why? Because they lack the life of the Holy Spirit in their life. They lack the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to live an abundant life, a victorious life, a life full of power. And all these things come with spiritual maturity. And it is the Holy Spirit who helps us get to spiritual maturity. Look at what John 14, 26 says. It says, but the helper will teach you everything and cause you to remember all that I have told you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. The Father will send in my name. You know, I love a clean home. I, I, I love our house to be clean. With two kids and a third one coming, that is getting harder by the day. But I love a clean home. And I don't mind cleaning. My wife will attest. I love helping her. I, I love doing my part, you know. Um, but there's one thing that I really hate to do. There's one thing that I really hate to clean. I think you guys know where I'm going. The bathtub and the toilet. I hate it. I hate it. I almost lose my salvation when, when, when I'm cleaning the toilet and the bathtub. You got to get down there and scrub and it's so uncomfortable and it's so gross, right? And the worst part is that you clean, you clean, you clean, and then you rinse it and you realize you missed a spot. And you got to start the whole process again. But thank God for technology. Oh, thank God. Did you know that there's a spray that, that you spray it and it bubbles up? And the bubbles automatically do the scrubbing, the cleaning. And all you got to do is just wait there, let it do its work, rinse it, and it's good as new. In the store market of heaven, the Holy Spirit is the one that God says. See, here's the thing. Many of us are trying to do things on our own. We're trying to get into our lives. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. And we're trying to do it in our own strength. When God has provided someone who can come into our lives and bring that mess deep within us and bring it out and cleanse us from it so that we can become who God wanted us to become. Third thing, I may not have time to finish, but it's all right. You know this one. Apply what you learn. If you want to grow spiritually, apply what you learn. Amen. John 13, 17. Look at this. This is awesome because many people come to church wanting to be blessed. And I want you to be blessed. But I want you to understand how blessing works, okay? Look at what John 13, 17 says. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for knowing them. For what? For doing them. The blessing comes when we put into practice what we know. Nobody loses weight because they learned about a new diet. 
right? The South Beach diet, the Daniel fast. We know all these diets and knowing it hasn't done any good to us. Where's the blessing in doing it? Okay, if you don't apply what you learn, and I believe that every Sunday we are giving you practical things that you can apply. If you don't apply, it won't help you. Look at what James 1.22, and I actually should have put that whole scripture there, but look at what James 1.22 and 25 says. It says, do what God's teaching says. Don't just listen and do nothing. When you only sit and listen, you are what? You're not fooling God and you're not fooling me. You're fooling who? If you do what it says, you will have God's blessing. Never just listen to his teachings and forget what you have learned. In between, um, in verses 23 and 24, James, the half-brother of Jesus, uses a very powerful illustration. He says, if you hear God's teachings, if you come to church and all you do is listen, you're like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and does nothing. Now, the word man is talking about the, the male. It's not talking about humanity. It's talking about a man. And I'll tell you why. Because women never look at a mirror and not do anything. It's impossible for a woman to look at a mirror and just walk away. Even if it's just kind of restretching their cheeks, but they do something. But what about us guys? Oh, dude, you got a booger. Oh, I do. In fact, let me show you something. Ladies, ladies, you got your purse next to you? You do, right? To bring out your purse. Bring out your purse. Come on, ladies, grab your purse. Work with me. I, I only got like five minutes. Grab your purse. I, I, I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm not going to humiliate you. Ladies, grab your purse. All right, take out the mirror you have in there. Because I know you have a mirror. Come on, put it up in the air like you're proud. Be proud. You got a mirror. Look, look. Come on, ladies, don't be shy. Don't be shy. And if you don't have a mirror, we're going to give you one. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Guys, pull out your wallet. Pull out your wallet. Anybody got a mirror so that we can pray for you right now? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, Dan borrows his wife. Now, here's where I'm going. Here's where I'm going. See, God wants us to do something with what we see. And I know that every time you sit down, to read the Bible. I know every time you listen to a sermon, I know every time you're part of a life group, God tells you something that you need to change. Something that you need to improve. So we got to do something. And you got to, I love that illustration because, and I'm not insulting women. I think that's so awesome. We want you guys to look beautiful, right? A woman, go to, no, don't go to the women's bathroom. But, but if you were to ever clean the women's bathroom, you would see that there's always more mirrors than there are in a man's bathroom. Okay, so we got to apply what we learn. Now, now, here's the thing about applying God's word. Here, here, here's one of the problems we have, that applying God's word is about applying new habits. Okay, here, here's what you need to know. You don't ever get rid of old habits. You need to replace them. If, if, you, if you're saying, I got to stop eating donuts, 
You can't just stop eating donuts. You got to start eating carrots. Or maybe go for a walk. And, and when you would, you know, like, you, you know, you get up at 10 every day to, from your desk to, to go eat a donut. Instead of going to eat a donut, go out in the parking lot and do two walks. You, you replace your habits. That's what it means to apply the word of God. In fact, Colossians 3, 9, and 10 says this. It says, you have put out, you have put out of your life your old ways. What were your old ways? The way you thought, the way you acted, the way you responded, the way you did business, the way you looked at women, the way you looked at men, the way you thought about sex, the way you thought about money, the way you thought about all those things before you came to Christ. And he says, you have now become what? A new person and are always learning more about Christ. You are being made more like Christ. He is the one who made you. Okay. I just want to remind you of four quick things that you already know. You already know. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I just want to encourage you to do them. Just do them. They're simple. We can do them. Here's, here's the first thing. Here's the first habit that, that, that we got to do every day. We got to get in God's word daily. Guys, it's so easy to get God's word in you. Your phone, there's so many apps, there's so many podcasts. You could be in the, in stuck in traffic and just taking in God's word. If you work in front of a computer, you can make your, your screensaver, Bible verses. There's so many ways to get God's word in you. And here's what God's word does. It cleanses us and it feeds us so that we can grow. I had somebody tell me, oh, I, I almost gave them a kiss, but I didn't because I knew they would thought it would be weird. But somebody said to me, I finally realized, Pastor, that I don't go to church to be fed, that feeding is my own responsibility. I said, Lord, could you make more like that in our church? People say, oh, I'm leaving because I'm not being fed in that church. That's your responsibility. I'm supposed to encourage you. I'm supposed to guide you, equip you. But unless you're a baby, you want me to be spoon feeding you? I'm not good with kids. You know what we do with Maceline? I might do it with some of you if you want me to spoon feed you. We put a timer on her. That girl takes so long. We put a timer. We got an Alexa right next to our, to our dining table. Alexa, put a five minute timer. I'm choking. Number two, number two, number two. You got you to gotta speak to God daily. Speak to God daily. And by the way, you know why it's important to speak to God? Here's what you will learn when you start praying daily, that you run out of things to say. But you know, running out of things to say should not stop you from talking to God. That's when you finally gotten out of all the clutter, and now God can start talking to you. And by the way, when you talk to God, you have to think of a phone. When you, when you use a phone, there's two ways, one to hear and one to speak. The problem that many of us don't like talking to God is because all we do is talk, 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 and never hear from him. And if you would hear from him, you would grow. You would be reminded that you're loved, that you're special, that he is your hope, that he is your anchor, that you may be uh, hard-pressed, but you don't crush, that you may be persecuted, but you're not abandoned, that you may be um, knocked down, but you're not destroyed. You will hear the encouragement, the love of God. Third, 
you got to be in a community with other believers regularly. You got to be with others. And I'm talking about Sunday services and Wednesday services, but I'm also talking about, about life groups. I love life groups. You know why? Because in life groups, we're confronted with the things that we're struggling with. We ask the hard questions. I ask you hard questions here, but we don't go around and say, okay, everybody's got to answer this one. Like imagine if I said, okay, are you a disciple? And we're going to go one by one and answer it. But in life groups, we do do that. Are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus? Has it cost you anything to follow Jesus? And when you have to answer those hard questions to others, that pushes you to grow. That pushes you to grow. You know, just very quickly. Um, forgive me if, if, if I'm wrong, okay? But um, I, I don't think the word stupid, it's a, it's a bad word, you know? But, but now Maisalee's five, and at school they tell her that it is and that they can't use it. So sometimes I've used it at home. Oh, that, that's such a stupid act. And she goes, ooh, daddy, you can't say that. If I didn't have Maisalee around, I would probably never make that change. But because she's around and I'm around her, guess what? Oh, that's such a foolish thing to, to do. That's what happens when you're around others. And then the last thing is um, give your tithes consistently. Give your tithes. And I know money is a, is, a, is a delicate issue. But did you know that Jesus spoke so much about money? That he spoke more about giving than he did about hell or heaven? And that almost every other uh, parable had to do with money? And you know why? Listen to this. It's, for me, it's very simple. Uh, the answer is very simple. I know you're putting your stuff away, but don't miss this one, okay? We're almost done. For me, it's very simple. God asks us to give our money for one reason. Not because he needs it, but because he wants to make sure that your money doesn't own you. And if you are not willing to give it to God, I'm sorry. You can have a hundred excuses. I don't make enough. I got too many bills. But the bottom line is that money has a hold of you. And I just want to I, I just want to make this argument. I just want to make this argument. You trust God with your eternity, right? You trust that because your faith is in Jesus, when you die, you're going to go to heaven, right? So if you can trust him with your eternity, can't you also trust him with your livelihood? Shouldn't you, we be able to say, God, and by the way, to give your tithes is to give 10% of your income to say, God, here's 10% of what I make. I'm not giving it to the pastor. I'm not paying it to the church. I am in obedience contributing to your kingdom. One of the areas that leads us to growing is when we become generous people. When you finally break the chains of money, oh, you're so free to grow. You're so free to grow because Jesus said that the one thing that fights for your allegiance towards God is what? Money. And if money has a hold of you, you won't grow in Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. 
From today on, I will follow you. Transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.